Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, it's good to be with you in any format. But I miss your faces, I have to tell you that. Many of you have been sending in pictures of your faces that I can put them on the pews. Please keep doing that. That'll only make this seem a little bit less silly. Before we look at the scripture together today, people have asked, why did I start bowing before I preached? It's something that I picked up from Mr. Rogers. He thought that each life was so sacred, and it is, that it was worth a bow to people before he spoke to them. He even thought about the space between him and a child at home through a camera as sacred space, wherever there was a hearer and a speaker sharing good information and grace with each other, that ground was sacred. So even though you're at home and you're watching, but is between us a sacred space because we are both created in the image of God and bless you. Now, let's turn our attention to some things a little more silly. I asked Kia, our uh, uh, director of communication, to take a poll on Facebook. Who had the most unique offerings at communion in their homes last week? And she has chosen two winners who will receive a copy of Following Jesus in the Age of Anxiety by Henry Nowen. I'll mail it to you as soon as I can. Uh, the two winners was, was Robert and Ziola Perrin and their household who had apple turnovers and milk. That's a step up from Welch's grape juice, I think. And Tanya Biad and her family who had Mexican quejata candy uh, and coffee. So, round of applause for those folks. They receive a good book and a book I think that is worth considering in these times. Let's pray together as we consider this text. Dear God, we're thankful for the life that you have given us. And we confess there are ways that we haven't always been faithful with that gift. We have been wayward, unwise. But as humanity has drawn away from you, we know and believe in our hearts that you sent your son Christ to reconcile us to yourself, and we're thankful. Christ has been called to cultivate in each of us a desire for a new way of life, your kingdom, not our own. And in like manner, your Holy Spirit ministers to us, making us a community of care, and we're thankful for that. God, whether anyone else knows it or not, you and I know that without you, I can do nothing. So be here and be present amongst this mystical body of Christ, near and far, that this well-worn psalm may breathe hope 
and inspiration in this strange, strange time. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Christ Jesus, who lives with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore that we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, we were invited to a neighborhood house for a party. The neighbors invited all the people who meet at the bus stop, which meets at the corner of our yard, and we all gather from time to time because we have kids that are about the same age and they like being together, so we call ourselves the bus stop buddies. We were going to have a bus stop buddy. I didn't make up the name. We were going to have a bus stop buddy um, appetizer time from 4 to 5.30 on a Friday night afternoon, and uh, the kids were going to play, and it was going to be fun. The kids played, and the fun was had, so much so that people said, let's just make this dinner. So pizzas get put in the oven, hot dogs under the broiler. And the parents all sat in the kitchen around a large table while the kids were in, in an adjoining room at a big dining room table. Only Colleen and I were listening to the kids. And we heard Ruby say, right before they were to eat, should we have a prayer? That's Ruby's custom. We eat before, we pray before we eat in our home. But we weren't with a group of people that I would call prayers. Uh, most of them don't have a religious background. Some are spiritual but not religious and participate in other forms of spirituality. But I wouldn't say they do or believe in the similar kinds of things that we do and believe in. So I was really curious to hear what would come next. The eldest kid there who lived in that household said, okay, 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 we'll have a prayer. She's so sweet trying to accommodate my child. And sweetly, she squinted her eyes and folded her hands, and she said something like this. We're campers, and we aim to be very good campers. Amen. And I thought that was really a sweet thing, because what occurred to me in that moment was, she's not of a culture at home that prays, but maybe at some camp she went to, this was a ritual before they ate, and she was trying her best. So I thought it was nice. Marcella didn't. Marcella says, that's not a prayer. Come on, Ruby, let's teach him a prayer. And so she starts in on the Lord's Prayer with them, and everyone else is just can't even keep up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And she just goes like a speed racer with her voice. Afterwards, someone else, a little boy, said, who's our father? My dad's in the other room. And Marcella said, no, that's God. Little boy says, who's God? Not a unique question, but an important question. Then we listen to Marcella and Ruby try to explain who God is to their friends in the neighborhood. And I, I listened with great nerves <laughs> and great delight. Because I was hearing my daughters say things that Colleen and I had taught them, but more than that, I was hearing them say things that they no doubt learned here at Peachtree Christian Church in our children's ministry. I could actually hear some of their teachers' words come out of them. I heard them speak words that they heard from their godparents and their aunts and their uncles and their, their grandparents, and it made my heart swell that they're a part of a theological community that wants to pour into them ideas about God that they can, they can use in their spiritual toolkit to think about that which no greater thought can be thought. It occurred to me that we all just do our best when trying to explain who God is. All we really have are our constructs and our analogies. There's a lot of good ones, but 
They all break down at some point. What's important is to find out what they are meant to communicate. One construct of God is God as Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is that supposed to mean? That God is our biological Father? Well, no. It means something about God being a ruler, God being a progenitor of life, God maybe even being one who hands on um, uh, inheritance. In our hymnals, you can read where God is presented as mother, and in a lot of our mystical tradition, we have that language. It has nothing really to do with genderizing God so much as it has to do with the fact that God is the one who really births creation and is nurturing and caring. I think this is good to know because we all have ways of trying to talk about that which our brain cannot hardly touch. That's why Stanley Hauerwas, one of the greatest theologians that worked in the last century in our country, said that he just wished he heard this language out of more Christians. You ready for it? I've shared it here before. Whoever God is, God is dot, dot, dot. For King David, the writer of our psalm this morning, whoever God is, God is like a shepherd. What does he mean by that? I've not really ever known a shepherd. We don't really live in a society where there's a lot of shepherds and sheep. We don't live in that era or in that location geographically and historically. Well, I've known a few things about shepherds. One of them is that they're supposed to lead their flock. But you ever noticed how shepherds lead flocks and the old renderings and paintings? Shepherds don't lead flocks way out in front barking orders. They also don't stand high on, on, on big stages with cameras around them or, or on big chancels or even high up in pulpits. No, shepherds lead among the flock, in amidst with the flock. I have been told that shepherds, after some time, tend to smell like their own sheep because shepherds are close to their sheep. I have even been told that they're so close that there are times when, when shepherds may at one time or another, be bitten by a sheep because they're so close with their sheep. Shepherds lead the people, or they, pardon me, they lead the flock, but not out in front, but with inside. Now, if we take this from the Old Testament and lift it out and move it to the New Testament through its lens and through the lens of Christ, we get a sense of God even more fully here. Jesus is called the Good Shepherd, and he represents God's greatest way of leading the world. God doesn't lead the world like a master chess player moving pieces. No, God, God does it through this fancy word called incarnation, where God gets into the world and is, is as us for us. Whoever God is, God is like a shepherd who leads the sheep to lush, green pastures, and still calm waters. When I think of that, and I think about the life of a sheep, I think what that means is, is that the shepherd leads the sheep to renewal. If you think about it, having an empty stomach and needing lush grass, well, you're being led there by your shepherd. You're being, in a way, renewed from the inside out. Same thing for the waters when they're thirsty and parched. 
can be renewed from the inside out. I'm thinking about that in terms of the New Testament again, and my mind races to what's behind me. Behind this wonderful altar is our baptistry. When people get baptized, they step into the waters with their old self, as their old self. And there they are called to die to God, to die unto Christ. They're buried with Christ under the waters, and they come out receiving newness of life. Everything that happens here is a signal and sign of renewal, of deep inner renewal. I was at Peachtree for only six months as the associate minister when one of our lovely members had a friend and said the friend needed to talk to me. That friend was named Orenthal Allen, and he's gone to be with the Lord just a few months ago. I don't know all his background. I just know two things about him. One, he had cracks and hurts and breaks on the inside like, like we all do. The second thing is that man had the best smile I've ever seen. It could light up the sanctuary without nary a light bulb or the, or the sun shining. It was beautiful. He sat there with me, telling me parts of his story, but sometimes smiling because he couldn't help but smile. And he just said, I want to start over. So we prepared for baptism. Behind me and behind the baptistry, there's a whole chamber back here. And he, he was dressed in his white robe, and I was in my, my black robe and my waders that we try to hide from everybody here in the sanctuary. And I anointed his head with oil in the sign of the cross. And I said, remember, you're saying goodbye to your old, and you're saying hello to your new. And he just smiled, like with that beautiful smile. And he just kept saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And then we walked down into the water. And I said, we're baptizing you for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he went under, and he came out, and that smile shone, and it lit up this whole space like you wouldn't believe. And in our custom, someone stands on the other side of the baptistry with a candle and presents it to them and says, Orenthal, you are the light of the world. You're new. You're fresh. Let your light shine. And he kept saying, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Whoever God is, God is one who brings renewal. The psalmist takes <clears throat> a little turn from the shepherds in the fields and says that God, whoever God is for the psalmist, is one who also walks with them through hard and dark times. For the psalmist, whoever God is, God is a way maker. God is a way maker. He talks about darkness in the valley of death, some translations are just the dark valley. God is one who protects and makes a way through those hard times. You know, I don't need to tell you that we are having a dark time culturally. No one knows what's going on. What we expect to happen with our daily routines are thrown off. Some of you have lost your jobs. There's a whole lot of people who are worried about being sick because they're high risk or know people who could be high risk, and it's scary. There are people who panic and, and do things that they shouldn't be doing either. It's been hard on me. It's been hard on you. My wife and I, we started the week off thinking, well, we're going to get to work from home, and 
we'll have the kids there and we'll bring them in the nest and we'll do the homeschool stuff that we're, the teachers have sent home for us to do and, and we'll do it well. It was about lunchtime on day one when we looked to each other and realized that full-time working at home and full-time teaching your child are two things that don't work at the same time. This can't happen. Throughout the week, we've had to do fancy calculus ourselves to see who could take care of the kids, educate the kids, and do their work because the external pressures of our lives are still very much there. And so I was texting with my neighbors, that bus stop buddies group. We have a text thread. We share texts like, has anybody heard what the president had to say today? Or did you see that Kenny Rogers passed away? Or mine said, I'm having a very hard time doing all this. Colleen's staying up really late getting her work done. It just seems like there's not enough time. And one of my neighbors responded by saying, Jared, maybe you're trying too hard. At first, I thought, wow, that's a snarky response. But as I thought about it, I realized it was full of grace. It took me back into the mind of a shepherd and sheep I imagine myself as one of those sheep who kind of walks astray a little, gets himself or herself caught up in some thorns and thicket, and struggling to get out of it only gets more tangled up. Maybe I'm trying too hard. Maybe I need to calm my breathing and let God make a way and let God take me through these dark and difficult times. Whoever God is, God is a way maker. And then the psalmist goes somewhere really interesting. The psalmist says that God is like a host. You get the image that the psalmist is in the temple of God, and he's the guest of the host who is God. It says that my God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So no matter what difficulties befall you or fall around you, God will still provide you with what you need. God will still welcome you. God will still host you close to himself. Whoever God is, God is a welcoming host. We lift that out of the Old Testament and take it to the new and apply it through its lenses. We're called to another liturgical act. We're called to communion We're called to this very table, which is actually an altar of God. We often tell people that at this table, even if you preside over communion, as Reverend Chambers will later, that that you're not the host. The host here is Christ, who invites all to come, and to sit is equally distant from him. There is nobody at the head spot. There's nobody in a seat of honor. Everybody is as close to God as everybody else. We are the guests at a very welcome table, and we dine in the presence of our enemies. We dine in the presence of disease. We dine on the presence of brokenness. We dine on the, in the presence of hurt and anger and even death. A good host can show you grace through simple things. Colleen and I had some friends at our last congregation from India. I forget now where in India, but they were from India, and I uh, probably spoke really loudly in their presence to someone else, 
hey, I really like Indian food. It's one of my favorite kinds of food, you know, hoping that they would hear it and then invite the pastor over. They did. They're great hosts. I'm not sure if I'm a great guest. So Colleen and I, we go over to their house, and we were welcomed in, and the spread was unbelievable. They prepared all my favorite Indian dishes. I was so excited. The smell, oh my gosh, it makes my mouth water even now. And I noticed that we sat down to four spots at the table. There were four plates, but only two of the spots at the table had fork and knife. The other two uh, didn't, and they sat down, and they began to eat rice with their fingers and would tear out naan and roti bread and eat with it. And at some point, I just said, so do you not eat with silverware? And she smiled and said, not where we're from, no. I said, but, but you have silverware. And she said, we bought silverware for our guests. Simple gesture like that made us feel so welcome. God is not just a host, but God is the host. God is inviting all of us to come and to be welcome at his table. And we will sit there in the glory and joy of God. We will be okay because we will be with God. That's the message. Whoever God is, God is with you. Even in your suffering. Perhaps even and more so because of our suffering and fear. Whoever God is, God will make a way for you. Whoever God is, God is welcoming you. He's welcoming all of us. Take heart this week. Be of good cheer. Breathe. This too will pass, but more important than all, than all of it is God is already here. Whoever God is, God is with us. God bless you.